Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, and we, we, will, we will kind of uh, jump around a, a, a little bit, um, but we'll, we'll primarily focus on the first three verses as well as, as verse 8 today. Uh, Friday night, Stephanie and I went to, uh, to see the, the movie 1917. How many, has anybody seen uh, the movie? So, so I, I, if, if you haven't seen it, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. I may spoil it a little bit. Um, but I, the premise is these, these two soldiers are given orders to, to travel several miles into, through, through war-torn territory Territory that was recently held by the Germans to get to uh, a squad of, of 16, squadron of 1600 soldiers who are about to walk into a trap and be massacred by the German army. And in that squadron of 1600 is actually the brother of one of these two soldiers who are on the mission. And so uh, a, a, few, a few observations from the movie. One is, these guys went through hell. They, they uh, experienced tremendous opposition on the journey. And they persevered. There was, no, there was no wavering from the order of the commanding officer. And, and then the other observation I want to make about the movie, if you haven't already heard, is it was the way it was, it was shot was one continuous take. Which, which, if you got to go see the movie or, or just look at it, one continuous take with no scene changes, which, which ultimately only heightened not only the sense of mission, and if you've seen it, you, you understand, but also just the sense of urgency. Uh, is, is it's just this one long continuous take, and and, and I, I love movies like this. Because there's, there's unimaginable sacrifice. There, there was unparalleled, there's unparalleled determination. And there's just this, this unwavering commitment to the mission. The Apostle Paul said this in, in 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. Three, three he says this, Share in suffering <clears throat> as a good soldier of Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. But if you look around sort of the, the, the landscape today, and we've, we've, we talk about this so often, the, the church, like the culture, man, it seems so divided. And, and, and at times, it, it seems more like a bunch of separate interest group than it does a unified body a unified group around a, a central cause Are y'all with me this morning you'd be hard pressed to to use this soldier analogy to describe the the american church her her willingness to sacrifice 
her, her perseverance and, and her, her unity around a mission. And, and, and we, we, can, we can talk about the, the church like it's out there. But listen, if, if, you, if you follow Jesus, you are the church. The church is not a building. If you follow Jesus, you are the church. So I would just, I would just say, what about you? Is your, is your life, Christ follower, characterized by, by this unwavering loyalty, this mission of seeing others know and follow Jesus Christ? And see, Acts, Acts opens as a story that's already in progress. Uh, it, and so it, it starts with, uh, is, is part two of Luke's letter to, to Theophilus, right? Uh, so in, in, in a way, uh, Luke and Acts are sort of these discipleship primers as, as, he, as he's writing to this, this person, this individual named Theophilus. But, but so it starts, the book of Acts starts already in progress, but it also, it ends abruptly. It ends with, with the Apostle Paul in really it, like under house arrest in prison um, with the mission still uncompleted. But, but for the church, listen, it's, it's a reminder. The way it starts and ends is actually a reminder of God's invitation into this same mission. Uh, a mission that started 2,000 years ago with this call to be His witnesses, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to plant gospel-centered churches all over the globe, and to reflect the character and the coming kingdom of God. Amen? That's the mission we've been called to. And so, as, as we go through Acts... Uh, it, it, it's no doubt, it's a fascinating uh, historical account of sort of the explosion of the first century church. Like it's easy, if, if you want to get geeked out on the geography, you can, you can dive into all the places that Paul uh, visited and traveled, the people he encountered. You can get into the, the strategies that he employed in different places on his missionary journeys. But of, above all, listen, we got to remember to allow ourselves to be be transformed by the message of Acts. Amen? We, we've got to, not only that, we've got to allow our hearts to be moved to be on the same mission. And, and so, I, I, I just mentioned it, Acts was written by Luke, who was a physician, and, and I, don't, I don't know why, um, so, so educated, uh, uh, more than likely um, affluent, um, eloquent in his writing, in his Greek, uh, and, and it, I don't know why it, it didn't dawn on me, uh, it just, it just kind of hit me a certain way this week, but Paul, of all people, like this brother needed like a personal doctor, like just everywhere he went, right? I mean, beat up everywhere he went, like tortured, like large stones thrown at him multiple times, like just multiple lashings, whippings, shipwreck. Plus, plus like I, I personally kind of tend to think that his thorn in the flesh was a physical malady as well. Like makes sense that he had like a physician just kind of, yeah, like this is my doc. He just goes with me everywhere. Um, and so I don't know why that just, it just kind of light bulb went off. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And so... Luke travels, travel with Paul. Luke is the author of Luke and Acts. And it was written really kind of the early 
A.D. 30s through the early to mid A.D. 60s. And, and, and so if you think about it, 30 years, 30 years, in 30 years, the world was turned upside down for the gospel. 30 years. I think we, we forget what God can do in a, in a generation. And there's this, there's this important connection between Luke and Acts. It's meant to be read as one continuous storyline. So if you're, if you're not in a, a dedicated Bible reading plan, or maybe if, if you are, I'd encourage you to go read Luke. And, and a lot of times if we're reading chronologically or, or, or we're, we're reading along, we kind of go from John to Acts because that's the order of the New Testament. Um, but I would encourage you to, to read Luke and Acts straight through because it gives you this idea. It's meant to be one single storyline. And in fact, in Luke 24, uh, if you want to keep your place in, in in Acts, verse 47 through 49 of Luke 24 says this. I'll start in 46. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. That's important. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with, clothed with power from on high. So Luke, that's how Luke ends. And so it ends with the apostles waiting. Waiting for the promise of the Spirit. And so we get to Acts 1 and, and, and we immediately get this sense. And throughout all of Acts, we see that the, the church, Acts is a picture of the church on mission. Acts is a picture of the church on mission, driven by the mission and the movement of God. First thing this morning. I want to say in regard to the church being on God's call for us to be a church on mission. The purpose of the mission is to proclaim Christ crucified and raised. Amen. I need man. I don't know if we're excited about this. The purpose of the mission. I want you to look at your neighbor. All right, we're going there. Yeah, we are. I want you to look at your neighbor and say purpose. purpose. Proclaim Christ. Crucified and, raised. Crucified and raised. That's it. That's our one point. Let's pray. All right, let's go home. <laughs> I want to read verses 1 through 3. It says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The first book being the Gospel of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about the importance of the, the apostles' authority and their, their role as witnesses. Verse 3, and he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the purpose of the mission is to proclaim Christ crucified and, and raised. And, and, but it's, it's interesting. 
says that Jesus was talking to them about the kingdom of God. And, and I, wanna, I, I want to dive into this this morning. We, we may not all agree on the details of, of the kingdom of God, but what we must agree on is the gospel of Christ crucified and raised. Amen? discipleship flows from orienting our lives around the truth of this gospel. And so verse 3 says that Jesus, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs. So Luke, he mentions both the passion of Jesus, His, his suffering on the cross, as, as well as the reality of His resurrection. And so many proofs, Thomas Constable refers to, uh, this is proof by incontrovertible evidence as contrasted, two different Greek words, with proof claimed by a witness. So Luke asserts that Jesus' resurrection was beyond dispute. Keep in mind that he was writing and saying these things within a generation of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Like, no time for myth or folklore. Within a generation, the people who were there, they were still there. And Luke's writing this within a generation. And there are numerous documented appearances of Jesus following his resurrection to Cleopas and his companion as they walked to the road the road to Emmaus and this isn't an exhaustive list but to Mary Magdalene to Jesus brother James to the disciples and to the 500 David Peterson in the pillar commentary series says this we are told that Jesus he invited them to touch him and that he ate he ate and he he drank in their presence he, he was no phantom, Peterson said, and their experience, their experience was not simply uh, vi- visionary or, or spiritual. And we would do well to remember, too, that Luke himself, Luke himself was utterly convinced of the historical reliability of the evidence that he received from these eyewitnesses. This is Luke. So we proclaim Christ crucified and, and raised. Part of, part of the membership process at Restoration Church Bryan is, is we, we, asked, we, we, we asked folks the question, hey, what is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And, and we have, we have fo- for our introverts, we, we let them write it out, right? <laughs> In a room by themselves. Uh, but then we talk about it as, as we follow up on the membership process. And unfortunately, the American church is all over the place when it comes to the question of what is the gospel. Some people want to immediately start talking social justice. Others want to get into spiritual gifts and manifestations. Others want to talk about good deeds. But the simplicity of the gospel is that is it, it is the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ, God in human flesh, His perfect life of obedience, His sacrificial death on a cross for sin, and His bodily resurrection signifying to all God's victory over sin, death, and Satan. So when Luke says in verse 8, you will be my witnesses, the question becomes, becomes to, what, to what are we witnessing? 
Like to what are we witnesses? What is the the content and the message uh, of this witness? And the answer is simply this. It is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Kent Hughes says this. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He died to pay for our sins. He was resurrected. Now he's exalted in heaven. He calls us to believe in him and so receive forgiveness of sins. This is good news. There's nothing to join. No, no, no system to climb. Just a person to receive and in him eternal life. Can I get an amen on that? Verse 3. So, so he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. And he appeared to them 40 days and he, start, he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And I, I, I want to break this down. The kingdom of God in the, loosest, in the loosest sense is God's sovereign rule over his people. Uh, in, in, a, in another sense, it entails the fulfillment of prophecy and his permanent reign over the nations. And, and, and I wanna, I'm going to put up some slides, and, 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 but, but before we do, Mario, I, I want to break down this is how we're going to roll this morning. I want to break down some of the prominent views of, of kingdom theology and what the kingdom of God entails. If, if you've never heard any of these terms, because we're going we're gonna to do a little teaching this morning. Is that, is that okay? Is, if, 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 if that's okay, say, we're with you. Okay. So we're going to break down some of these kingdom views. If, if you've never heard any of these terms, that's okay. Uh, they are wordy, and whoever came up with them, I think was just trying to sound smart. Um, I would encourage you to study God's Word and come to your own conclusion and view. Um, I'll go quickly through these. I'll tell you where I've landed. But a couple of things. If, 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 you, if you feel free uh, to, to snap a picture of the slides, that's, that's fine. Or these definitions are from Dr. Thomas Constable. They can be found at PlanoBibleChapel.org. Um, under his commentary on Acts 1s. And so students, like I know that you guys have been in class all week, um, so just put your seatbelt on, buckle up. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go through them quickly. Um, but it's important, it is important to know these different views of what um, people believe that the kingdom of God is. And so, uh, Mario, if you'll, put, if you'll put the definitions up. Um, have we got them? There we go. Kingdom views. Dispensationalists believe that Jesus Christ will rule the earth as Messiah in the future. Keep rolling. Progressive dispensationalists, I told you it's a mouthful, along with covenant premillennialists, amillennialists, ah, ah, like atheists, ah meaning no, there is no literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, and postmillennialists believe that the messianic kingdom, this is important, began during Jesus' first ministry, his first advent, and that the church is the present form of the messianic kingdom on earth. Normative dispensationalists, believe that the Jews' rejection of Jesus resulted in a temporary withdrawal or a postponement of the kingdom, and that the church is a distinct entity, not another name for the Messianic kingdom. They believe that the Messianic kingdom is an earthly kingdom, and that it will begin when Jesus Christ returns to reign personally on the earth. 
Dispensationalists believe that references to Israel in the New Testament always refer to ethnic Israel, ethnic Jews. This is how Israel is used in the Old Testament. We're halfway there. Everybody take a deep breath. All right? I think we can handle some, some, some solid theology, okay? Non-dispensationalists believe that some references to Israel in the New Testament refer to Christians who may be Jew or Gentile. They speak of the church as the new Israel. They believe that the church has replaced Israel as the people of God and that there is no special future for Israel as a people. God will fulfill His promises to Israel and the church, all Christians, in a spiritual rather than in a literal way. Now, among dispensationalists, there are those who believe that God will fulfill his promises concerning the reign of Christ as Messiah after Jesus returns to the earth at his second coming. However, progressive dispensationalists believe they couldn't just be regular, believe God has already begun to fulfill his promises concerning the reign of Christ as Messiah from heaven as head of the church and that he will fulfill the promises concerning Christ's earthly reign after he returns to his second coming. Last one, non-dispensationalists are for the most part what we call covenant, what are called covenant theologians. These can be divided into amillennialists who believe that the messianic reign of Christ will not be on the earth, but is Christ's present reign from heaven. Postmillennialists who believe that millennialists who believe that the present age is just going to get better right? It's just going to improve, culminating in the messianic kingdom conditions on earth. Still waiting on that. And when Christ will return to earth, um, clearly that's not my position. Uh, (laughs) Covenant premillennialists who believe that Christ will return to earth and then set up an earthly kingdom, but presently they believe that the church is the new Israel. Um, It's important. It's important to, to wrestle through, um, to divide God's word in a way where, where you, you come to your, your own convictions. Let me be clear, um, th- this, is, this is not, thus saith the Lord, uh, this, is, this is where I've landed for, for a number of reasons. I, I lean more toward a dispensational view of the kingdom, and, and I'll give you a few reasons for me. Um, in Acts... Israel's mentioned about 20 times. The church is mentioned 19 times, and it appears that Acts keeps them distinct throughout. In addition, I I believe Romans 11 is pointing to a future repentance and and restoration of national Israel as they collectively trust Jesus. I also struggle for me to, to strip the, the concept of God's kingdom from the literal prophecies of an earthly kingdom in the Old Testament. And then the last thing I would say, and, and I'm giving you three or four reasons, there's lots, but the last thing I would say is when I hear Paul refer to Satan as the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, when he refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. And when John, decades after the resurrection of Jesus, refers to the whole world lying in the power of the evil one in 1 John 5.19, I believe the New Testament evidence points to a future fulfillment of God's kingdom on earth. I don't want to be dogmatic about this um, because there are plenty of, of godly, Jesus-loving Christ followers, much smarter than me, who, who hold different views, um, that's okay. 
I would encourage you to dig into the word and come to your own conclusions and not just regurgitate what your favorite preacher or teacher or theologian says. Whatever your view of the kingdom is, here's what we need to agree on. Y'all ready? In Acts, there's some 30 or so references to the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, Every time you turn around, Paul is bearing witness to a crucified and risen Savior. For comparison, only seven or eight times in Acts does it reference the kingdom of God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. That is not to say that the kingdom is not important. It is to say that the emphasis of the witness was on the death and the resurrection, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Are y'all with me, church? That was the emphasis. And we, we've got to confess that the character of God and His kingdom is one of mercy and grace. So, so whether the kingdom is already here and still to be fully inaugurated at Christ's return, or whether it's altogether future, we must represent the character of God's kingdom as Christ's ambassadors. In fact, 2 Corinthians says this. Therefore, we are His ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin that in Him we might become the righteousness of of God. So we must proclaim Christ and what He has done to deal with our sin problem. And, and here's, here's the final thing I, I, I will say about this. I don't know. I don't know if we get to be opinionated and dogmatic about a kingdom view. One, if we're not opening our mouths bearing witness to the gospel. And two, if we're not reflecting the heart of God by loving Him and loving others. And if you're ready to like go to battle over your theology, but you're not sharing Jesus, and you're not graciously moving toward others, honestly, you should keep your theology to yourself. But the mission... The mission is to proclaim Christ crucified and raised. I'm going to give you points two and three, and then I'm going to close. <laughs> and we'll come back. The power source of the mission is the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. The power source of the mission is the Holy Spirit. And the promise, the promise is that Jesus will return. The promise is that Jesus will return. I'll close with this. Tony, Tony Marita says this. Ordinary people, the ordinary people of God, equipped with the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, dedicated to the Son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. I'm going to say that one more time. And it was a lot. The ordinary people of God, equipped with the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, dedicated to the Son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. We are called to be a church on mission. And my fear, my fear is that the American church, like 
we've, we've farmed out our serving to the nonprofits. And I'm not knocking nonprofits, I'm just saying we've given our service away. We've farmed out our missions to the mission agencies and organizations. We've farmed out our worship to the professionals. And while, while we gather large crowds and have killer music and we have state-of-the-art programs for adults and kids, I, like, I don't know if we've farmed out discipleship um, or if we've just made the Great Commission optional. But here's what I know. Too many churches are not equipping people to go out and proclaim Jesus and make disciples. And I was thinking about this. You know, our boys are they're 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 doing basketball right now at Central. Titus, Levi, and, and, and Luke are older boys, and I'm I'm coaching Titus's little second grade team. We won yesterday. So <laughs> but we don't keep score. <laughs> Although all the parents do. We don't keep standings. All the, all the kids get medals. <laughs> but here's the thing. The goal of basketball is to win the game. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, be a good sport. Don't be a jerk, okay? Have fun. Develop friendships. But you want to win. Like, the goal, the goal is to win. Church, our win is to introduce others to Jesus. Like, that's the win. It's when the world sees our witness that we love God with our everything. And we love people enough to give them more than the empty that they're living for. Church, let's, let us let Jesus flow from your lips and from our lives. Proclaim Christ crucified for your sin and raised. Proclaim that God in His grace has provided a way for salvation. And yes, in obedience to Matthew 6, we need to pray that God's kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It'll be hard, but let's forsake these cultural idols of comfort and convenience. And let's step up to God's call. And don't miss, don't miss the mission. Y'all pray with me this morning.